What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a blessed week. It is Friday. I am coming at you live from the walk-in closet of our bedroom. One day, I will have a studio. I will have another room that is a studio where I can record podcasts, and it'll be soundproof, and it'll be the audio will be amazing, but for now, we're going with the microphone in the walk-in closet while Noah sleeps, because that's what we're working with, and it'll be a great story one day, I'm sure, I'm sure it will, but I hope you're doing well. Um, If you are new to this podcast, this is a podcast dedicated to building men who fulfill their duty, where I am big on fulfilling your duty as a man, uh, your duty to your family, to your community, to your in your work, to your country, your state, your city, all of it, fulfilling your duty where you are. This is a podcast dedicated to men who want to pursue righteousness, which is an old word. It's actually not that, I mean, it's old in its origins, but it, it only recently have we stopped talking about it. Um, and I think it's a word that we need to bring back, and it's going to be the word we're talking about on this podcast today. We're going to talk about righteousness. Um you know, on this podcast, if you are new, we're going to talk about what's good, what's true, what's just, what's righteous, what's moral. We're going to talk about how to become a good man, how to die to yourself, how to love your wife, how to love your family, build your family, um, and how to become the man that God designed you and me to be. Uh, men of war, men of duty, men of good presence, who are prudent in our speech and who strive for excellence in all that we do. And I'm going to remind you of this frequently um, on this podcast because I don't want I don't want to forget the mission that we're on. I don't want this to become sort of some self fulfillment, self help. No, I want I want to help build men of character who fulfill their duty, who pursue righteousness, who help build their family, their nation, their city into something that is worthy of honor and ver- and is virtue. That's what I want. I do not want selfish fulfillment. I am not interested in that. I am not interested in self-help. I am not interested in any of that. I am interested in pursuing uh, the righteousness that God has established in his word and by his son um, and throughout the generations, uh, through Christian history and church history and all of that stuff. That is what I'm interested in. So we are also going to unapologetically talk about God on this podcast. I say it all the time. Uh, if you want to be a if you want to be a good man, if you want to be a bold man, if you want to be a man of courage, a man of virtue, if you want to be a family man, you want to love your wife well, you need God. You absolutely need God. You need a higher power to guide you, to submit to, uh, to empower you. You need His wisdom, His virtue. Also, He made you. Um, you need God. Um, so we're going to talk about God. If you're not in a good place with God, or you don't think God exists, I can tell you full assuredly. That God exists, He is real, He is a person, and uh, I'm already getting off my notes because I'm excited about today's episode. Um, also, if you are new, if you this is your first time tuning in, or um, I'll tell this story frequently. When I was 23, uh, I was living in my parents' basement. I was working at the Olive Garden as a server. I was trying to finish school, and uh, I was I went out to the garage one day to complain to my dad about my life and just share all of my woes. And like, Oh, I was feeling sorry for myself. Like I'm not married and I'm poor. And it's like, dude, you're 23. (laughs) You'll be fine. And my dad, he listened, he contemplated. And then he looked at me uh, when I'd finally finished talking about and feeling sorry for myself. And he asked me a question that changed my life. And he just looked at me and he said, son, what kind of man do you want to be? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't have an answer. I was just like, I don't know, like a teenager. 
I don't know as in I, I don't actually know and I don't know as in I don't even want to talk about it. Just feel sorry just feel sorry for me. Which he would never do. He would never allow me myself allow me or my brothers to feel sorry for ourselves. Kind of a, an amazing gift. So he asked me this question, son, what kind of man do you want to be? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, I would figure out what kind of man you want to be and pursue that relentlessly for the rest of your life. And I was like, done. I have a mission now. Uh, and if you're a man, you need a mission. You need a mission to pursue and to fulfill. Uh, that's that's really, really important. And from that moment on, when dad asked me that question, he gave me that mission, that vision. Um, I began to figure out what kind of man I wanted to become. And I, I did. I created my own vision and a mission of the character. Uh, and I'm working it out day by day uh, with my wife, with my family, with my dad, with my friends, with whoever. Um, and I'm thinking, what kind of man do I want to become? What kind of man do I want to be? Which is where we got the name of the podcast. I did not actually know that it was a country song until uh, a couple months ago. And maybe we'll just make that the theme song for the podcast since the podcast needs one. Um, and I'm we're here to help. That's what I want to. I want to build men. I think our country right now, our country, I love our country. I love it with its scars, its bruises, its faults. I love our country. I love our founding values. I love our history. I love how we have been pulled forward by good men and good women uh, for our 240 some odd years. Um, I think our country right now needs men of good character uh, of righteousness who pursue justice and they pursue what is good. Who, they have a moral vision for their family, um, th- for what their family could become, who their kids could become, uh, <clears throat> who they as individuals could become, their city, their state, all of it. And I do. I think it's good to have a moral vision for what your country, your state, and your city could be, for what your church could be. I, I think it's good to love your country. The opposite is to hate your country, and there's nothing good that comes from that. But I think it is good to love your country and to love where you live and to seek its good. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, Israel is they are exiled to Babylon. They're taken from their homeland to another country. And Jeremiah, the prophet, he writes them this letter that says, Seek the welfare of the city. Build houses and pray for that that city. It's honorable. It's good to love where God has placed you and Honestly, I am just so tired. I'm so tired of people who complain about and degrade this nation. And like, eh, blah, blah. that is that is a only ultimate privilege can complain about a nation like America. That complaining about America just demonstrates the the kind of privilege and wealth and freedom that you actually have to complain about how awesome it is here. Like most people around the world are trying to survive and we are trying to figure out which Airbnb would be best for our weekend getaway. Are you, like, are you, like there is no reason to complain about this nation. We have plenty of faults. There's a lot of stuff that I don't like that I think needs to be fixed, but you cannot fix something that you hate. All you can do about is complain about it and tear it down, which we have witnessed happening and somehow the message that this nation is evil has been spread and now people just want to tear it down and nothing good comes from that if there's stuff to be fixed it needs to come from a place of love where you love this nation you want to seek its good because when you love a nation what you really do is you love the people who make up that nation and you want to seek its good seek the good of the city paul wrote in um first timothy um first timothy chapter two 
his, it's his first command. He's like, first of all, I want you to pray for the leaders, for all people, especially for the leaders of your nation. That's uh, first Timothy two, one through like three. Um, pray for them. And Jesus says to pray for your enemies, pray for the ones you love. You got to pray for everybody, seek their good. It is good to love your name. And you can tell I'm a little fired up because I'm so tired of people complaining about this awesome nation and tearing it down when really you're not doing any good and you are doing the opposite of righteousness. I cannot stand it, <clears throat> even with our faults, even with, um, you know, like I don't really care for um, too much war. I don't like war. I I think war is necessary and just sometimes when it's on defense. Uh, the fact that we have so many military bases around the world, not sure I really care for that. Um, but I also haven't thought too much about it. Um, and instead of tearing down the nation, I'm going to put diligent thought and effort into understanding why do we have that around the world? That's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to tear it down and be like, screw this country. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is night. It is. Ah, all right. I will get off my high horse because we, I want to talk about, um, oh, one more thing. We're going to talk a lot about Theodore Roosevelt today. Um, we going through some, something he wrote again. Um, if you're new to the podcast, you're going to get a lot of the Bible and you're going to get a lot of Theodore Roosevelt because uh, he is awesome. Um, Theodore Roosevelt said this about people who do not love their nation. He said they are flabby, cosmopolitan, silly, and degrading. They represent national emasculation. Like, ouch. <laughs> Could you imagine if the president of the United, United States called you flabby? <laughs> Sorry, I needed some water and after that flabby uh love your nation. You can't fix what's what you don't love. You can't bless what you don't love. You cannot build what you don't love. You got to love if you just have if you have got degradation in your heart towards this nation, towards its people, towards its history, towards anything. You are you're a reductionist. Um you're critical and I think you need to repent and notice the flaws and then work diligently to fix them from a pure heart that loves it. <clears throat> Jesus had plenty of faults with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and he did everything he could to fix it because he loved it. Um, they killed him for it. The Sadducees did and Rome did, but he loved it. He didn't just come in and tear it down. He came to fulfill and to uphold and to, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Every single Sunday. Moving on. Moving on. I'm, I might be on my high horse a little bit today. I'm, I apologize in advance. <clears throat> Fired up. Every single Sunday, I get a reminder on my phone that says, you need a moral vision to be effective. You need to know what you believe and why, and you need to uh, know what you do not believe and why you don't believe that. So you need to know what you believe and why you need to know what you don't believe and why it needs to be rooted in knowledge of a subject, knowledge of what you are talking about. Um, and the men who know what they believe, they will shape the future of this country and of their family for generations. That's, that is the, that's the truth. You, the men who know what they believe are the ones who shape the shape the history, they shape posterity. They are the ones who are the ultimate leaders, um, are the people who know what they believe and why, and can, can they can communicate it into an effective, uh, realizable, realizable vision 
and they they change the world. That's what that's for the better. Hopefully for the better. Um, we've we've talked about knowing what you believe on this podcast. I plan to talk about it more and more. It's so so important because what you believe is going to shape how you act. Uh, my favorite example to use is what you believe about suffering will de- will determine how you handle suffering. Most people in this country believe suffering is an evil that needs to be avoided at all costs. It is the it is contrary to comfort. Comfort is the highest ideal. Therefore, suffering needs to be avoided, mitigated, and protected against by all costs. That's why we spend an absurd amount of money on like insurance. I am for insurance. I think insurance is wise. But we will spend an absurd amount of money on insurance to avoid any form of suffering. Um, we'll do, we'll do pretty much anything to avoid suffering. So if you believe that suffering is something that needs to be mitigated, avoided, protected against, you're going to act in a way that allows that to happen. You're going to do something to protect yourself from suffering. If though you believe that suffering is for the good of you, for the strength of your character, for the fortitude of your mind, that something that if you endure it and go all the way through it will bring you ultimate joy, which is the message of Ecclesiastes, then you're going to handle suffering different. You're going to take it head on. You're going to be like, I can handle this. I'm going to, I've got God by my side. He is my shepherd who leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. I do not need to fear because he's with me and I can handle this and it's for my good. That is the biblical view of suffering. Suffering is not something to be avoided. It is to be embraced, endured. It says in Hebrews that Jesus was made perfect through suffering by enduring on the cross. You know, Jesus was made perfect through suffering? Man, if he was, then I can. Then I can. So, like, so that's like, knowing what you believe is going to determine how you act in the world. Um, ordinary men who live out what they believe and who can communicate what they believe to others and who can live it out, live it out, they are going to be the people who shape the future in their community for their children, uh, for their family, like their church. Uh, you don't have to be in a position of power or have a large platform to make that happen, but you do need to be present where you are and effective where you are, not just complacent scrolling through your social media, Netflix and chilling, keeping up with the third round of Sports Center. Like, be effective where you are if you want, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so sometimes when I do this podcast, sometimes I have a subject I'm thinking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. So, like, for example, I've been thinking about the anger of mankind, specifically the anger of men, um, for several weeks, writing, taking notes, deleting, rewriting. Um, And then sometimes I wake up and I've got something on my heart. And today is is the latter. Today is I woke up, I've got something on my heart. I woke up and I remembered this great book that Theodore Roosevelt uh, wrote. And I felt compelled to talk about some of the points because Theodore Roosevelt, he uh, he cared about moral leadership. He cared about righteousness of the nation. And that's one of the reasons I love him. So he wrote this book uh, called Fear God and Take Your Own Part. If you were to buy it on Amazon, just be aware that for whatever reason, they printed it on paper that is like 14 inches by 10 inches. Like it's a gigantic. I have no idea why they why they printed it um, on such a gigantic piece of paper. So I like I got on Amazon to buy it. I was like, oh, it's only 140 pages. That's great. Um, but on gig like unbelievable. So if you buy it, um, uh, just know that 
look for the sizing because it's not going to fit nicely on your uh, bookshelf. But so he wrote that Theodore Roosevelt wrote this book during the outbreak of World War One, and most of the book are his thoughts on World War One, what President Woodrow Wilson was doing to handle it, the hypocrisy. You know, it, it's his. It's the subtitle is Roosevelt's point of view about World War One. Um. And unless you're a World War World War One scholar, uh, the book is going to be pretty meaningless for most of it. There's going to be like a chapter here and there that actually are like really really good for just all of life, but most of it is he is responding to what the how the nation is handling World War One, um, except for like the first chapter. The first chapter is like a sermon to the nation at a time when he saw the fabric of society just falling apart over this war. Um, he, he thought the leadership was bad. He thought the culture was bad. He thought He's like, we need something different. You know, like, kind of like what we feel in our country at this current moment. Sorry, needed more water. Or at least I feel at this moment. Maybe you feel it. Um, I, I think you can, I think we all probably feel it, see it witness it, living through it. Uh, The opening chapter of this book is an appeal to the nation to pursue righteousness, which means pursue virtue, pursue moral uprightness, do not shirk your responsibility, don't um, like avoid ignoble ease and the laziness that plagues so many of us, the comfort, the the draw of comfort. It also means, righteousness also means to seek the good of your neighbor. And that's important. Like, do not forget that phrase, that righteousness means seeking the good of your neighbor. Do not, don't forget that. Um, the biblical word for righteousness in the New Testament is dikaiosine. I believe I said that right, dikaiosune. And dikaiosune uh, means how one ought to be approved by God and by man, integrity, purity of life, virtue, correctness of thinking, that is one, uh, that one's huge. Correctness of thinking. Um, we have people who think insane things that are divorced from reality, um, and it is the opposite of righteousness because it is just it is not correct in its thinking. Ah, uh, correctness of feeling, correctness of acting, of acting. How you act in the world matters. Um, the pursuit of righteousness is the highest calling because the pursuit of righteousness leads to everything else. It leads to strength. It leads to peace. Uh, You don't get peace without righteousness. That is a big point of Theodore Roosevelt's book on pursuit or fear God and take your own part. Like you don't get peace if you do not pursue righteousness. Peace does not lead to righteousness. Um, But righteousness leads to peace. It leads to strength. It leads to love, justice, order, liberty. Uh, In one of Paul's letters to Timothy, 2 Timothy he says, flee evil desires and pursue righteousness. The word righteousness uh, in the Old Testament appears over 500 times. 500. And in the New Testament, it appears over 200 times. And uh, that is assuming my sources are correct that from my Google search. And it is the, the Bible wants, the, the God wants through his nation through his people, through those who call upon Jesus, he wants righteous people. And I don't know, I don't feel like we're talking or pursuing or pushing people towards a righteous life like it is commanded in Scripture. 
Uh, I just, I don't see it, but it is one of the most revered pursuits and topics in the Bible, the pursuit of righteousness. You know, um, I hear a lot of people like on political issues or cultural issues, uh, they'll, they'll be like, ah, I, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's gotta be somewhere in the middle. It's not right. It's not left. It's, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and, uh, I think that's lazy. I think that's lazy understanding. I think it assumes that there's merit found on a polarity. Uh, and I, I, I think the actual, the better thing is no, not somewhere in the middle. The better thing is to pursue righteousness, to pursue what is good, to seek what is true, not to seek what's in the middle, to seek after God's ways. Like, um, what's in the middle is going to change. You know, in our cultural climate, right and left on that that spectrum is getting further and further apart. And by the way, if you go far enough left, you end up at authoritarianism. If you go far enough right, you end up at authoritarianism because you want to control everybody. And the only way to do that is through authoritarian regime. But the, as things spread out, the middle gets thinner. It like You're like, what's actually in the middle? No, you're, no eventually you're going to end up missing righteousness. Um no, so seek after God's ways. Seek after what's like the middle is going to change. It's a poor compass, really bad compass. Righteousness, the pursuit of righteousness is unchanging. Uh, if you're going to read through Exodus and Deuteronomy, which you should, um, fantastic books, uh, get a good commentary that'll help you understand Leviticus uh, because it's kind of repetitive and uh, easy to fall asleep. Um, Exodus and Deuteronomy, their numbers are phenomenal. Leviticus is gold if you get a good commentary. Um, but you're going to notice something really interesting. These these are the books. These are the laws for Israel. So God delivers them out of slavery. You've got a nation of former slaves in the wilderness, and that's how God creates a nation. Um, and he gives this nation laws so that they can function. They're, he wants them to function with order, with justice, with liberty. If he doesn't give them laws or a framework to work with, it's just chaos and anarchy and Someone's going to establish themselves as leader and they'll, you know, like eventually you're just going to end up back where you were. And so he's like, nope, we are going to be a nation of laws, not of kings, not of, (laughs) which is where we got our nation. We are a nation of laws, not a nation of kings. Um, We, we function by laws. Israel functioned by laws. They had a leader, but they functioned by laws, just like the United States. Uh, We mimicked them. A nation of laws is the way to go. Um, but if you're going to read, if you read through those books, uh, you're going to, if you read them with a political lens, because they are political, political does not mean Republican or Democrat. Political means how are we going to organize ourselves as a society? That's what it means. Uh, what is the best way to distribute power resources? Um, how, what's the best way for us to de- make decisions, create laws? That's what political means. But if you read the old Testament, uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy with a political lens, there's going to be some laws that you're like, ooh, that seems pretty right-wing, uh, like private property. Um, but it, there's some others that will seem like left-wing. And you're like, wait a second. And they are neither. They are neither left nor right. They are, uh, they are God set up a nation that would pursue righteousness, that would care equally for the poor and the oppressed as much as it would care for the sojourner and the rich and the wealthy. There is no partiality with God. He is not partial to rich or poor, oppressed, free, slave. He is not he is not partial to anyone. Anyone like at all. He wants righteousness from all people. 
<clears throat> the basis of righteousness is God. Um, if there is no God, you will become self-righteous. That is a plague. Uh, self-righteous is not good. Um, there's no such thing as righteousness apart from him. I think that is self-evident. Without God, we just end up with this nonsense called my truth, which my truth is uh, is self-righteous. Um, it's also nonsense. And if you think about it longer than five seconds, my truth just becomes more and more, more and more nonsensical. It is, it's a really, really, it's a silly idea. Um, but then you also have people who like, um, the Pharisees were a good example. Um, Christians in the eighties and nineties. And you actually, you know, let's just go with religious people for all of human history. Um, who do pursue righteousness have a tendency to become self-righteous and realize and forget to realize that they are sustained by the grace of God, which they did not earn or deserve. It is a free gift. Uh, both my truth and self-righteousness, they are, they're not good, but in the pursuit of righteousness, you need God. You need to know that righteousness comes from God. It is, um, by following his, his ways, by submitting yourself to him, by seeking his help. <clears throat> and, um, the the pursuit of righteousness, the basis of righteousness being God, is made it made that's the case made in the Bible. God says over and over again that righteousness comes from Him, that He alone is righteous, that we must pursue His ways. Uh, and Theodore Roosevelt says the same thing in this book. And his premise, um, in this book, it's in the opening chapter, is that if you want to pursue righteousness, you need to fear God, but you also need to take your own part. Uh, which means take responsibility for where you are. You need both. You need to fear God. You need to take your own part. Also, what a what a dope title for a book. Like, good for him. All right. Um, as a quick aside, though, I want I've read a lot about Theodore Roosevelt, and I've read a decent amount about the founders of this country. Um, I I really enjoy reading history. Um, and I I just gotta say, secular historians will go out of their way to make claims about the religious fervor towards God, um, that it did not influence founders. It didn't influence people like Theodore Roosevelt. They will like, they'll make claims that, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, um, he went to church occasionally, but he didn't actually have any beliefs. It was more of a political thing. Um, the same has been said about Abraham Lincoln, Washington, like, um, but it's not true. It is absolutely not true. You read a biography, you might get the impression that they used religion as political tools. You read their writings, um, what these men wrote, Theodore Roosevelt, Abe Lincoln, George Washington. You read what they wrote in their letters, in their own private correspondence, their books, their speeches. Um, It becomes obvious that these men knew God. Um, I've read a lot of Theodore Roosevelt's books, and it it is sprinkled. There are so many scriptural references that you would only know if you read the Bible cover to cover frequently. There are, there, they are just, he used it. He used quotes from the Bible in everyday language without citing them. Like it was just part of his normal jargon. Um, it's one of the reasons I love Theodore Roosevelt so much. One, he's awesome. He was manly. And I'm just like, dude, you are the man. But also he had an abiding fear and reverence for God. Um, He's a God-fearing Christian whose writings and speeches are littered with biblical references. He cared about moral leadership more than he cared about anything. More, he cared about moral leadership more than anything, more than policy, more than the Republican Party, more than 
anything. He cared about moral leadership, justice, equality for all in every regard. Like justice was his war cry. He said all the time, I want a square deal for all people. His writings are filled with balancing statements about justice for the wealthy, the poor. Um, Like the opening quote of his biography, um, we must be just to others, kind to others. We must seek the good of our neighbor. Those are all biblical references. Um, and I want to be a man of God and I want to look to men of God to emulate so that I can not, so that I can see like, how did other men of God live their life? Um, because that's, that's one of the men I want to be. Okay. So now after that long introduction, uh, that was 28 minutes. Oh, all right. Now we can get to the actual good stuff of the book. Um, and maybe say a prayer that Noah doesn't wake up, uh, from her nap. Um, so I want to just go through a couple comments from the book, a couple things that I had uh, highlighted. I've got it here next to me, but I also have some notes. Uh, I just want to go through it. But here's the main takeaway uh, of this book written during the during World War One. It's what it was true then is true now. Our country needs men who pursue righteousness. Our country needs bold, daring men who do what is right and who speak up for what is right and good. The power of speaking up for what is right and good, the power of saying, no, we are not going there, is is game-changing, country-shifting. Like, it is it is powerful to just say no. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Men cannot be women and women cannot be men. No. That is nonsense. No. I am not denying that they, like, say no. You have to speak up for what is right and good. Um, on any cultural issue based on the scripture, you've got, if you use your voice, it's, it just, it's powerful. If you are self, if you are silent, if you, uh, hold what you believe to yourself, um, which is fine. I don't think you should post everything on social media, but if you're quiet all the time and you don't speak up for what is good and true, people who have other ideas for what is good and true, which are really evil they will speak up and they will work relentlessly to see their vision and then you end up in a place like we are today use your voice it is powerful we need men who speak up for what is right and good we are citizens of a mighty republic consecrated to the service of god to the service of god above through the service of man on earth that's theodore roosevelt that's what he said we are a mighty republic consecrated to the service of god above uh, excuse me consecrated to the service of god above through the service of man on earth that's our duty it's our call god has made it clear by the by his word and by his son that you cannot love god you cannot serve god if you do not love your neighbor and you cannot love your neighbor if you do not seek their good and will their good and if you don't know what is good well then we are at a loss you know we're just at a loss righteousness is good um, your neighbor, your neighbor is not your enemy. Um, your neighbor, your neighbor is not your enemy. Ideas might be, um, and might be an enemy of what is true and good, but your neighbor is not your enemy. That is one of the clearest teachings in the New Testament that our that our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against individual people, but it is against invisible forces of evil and philosophies that take people captive. It is 
unbelievably clear throughout the New Testament in the writings of Paul. Romans, uh, Ephesians 6, Colossians uh, 2, Colossians 3, that there are what your neighbor is not your enemy. Ideas might be. Your neighbor is not. And you need to be able to distinguish them. If you were to hop on Google right now and Google the phrase, the greatest threat to America, you would see headline on headline on headline about the imminent threat of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. So if you type in Republican Party, greatest threat to America, you're going to get headlines on headlines on headlines on headlines about how the Republican Party is the the greatest threat America faces today. If you do the same thing with the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, Google the Democratic Party greatest threat to America, you're going to get headline on headline on headline on headline. <laughs> no wonder we're so angry. You can't turn people into your enemy and then expect there to be peace and unity. You can't treat you can't walk around thinking that your neighbor next to you is an inherent threat to your life into your way of life. Like you can't even, you cannot live that way. Um, like you can't, you can't, you can't even have a conversation. You can't have debate. You can't have disagreement. You can't have love. You can't have anything. Um, you know, this is like the, uh, Oh, we'll get to that in a second. I think, let me check my notes. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get to our, our neighbor thing in a minute when we talk about the good Samaritan. Um, and I think because we've picked sides, instead of pursuing righteousness, we've created enemies in our neighborhood. Um, and I don't know who started the, that party is, is a threat. I don't know which one. I don't really care who started it. Um, but you can't like, you just can't, you can't, you can't have a nation that survives that way. Um. You can't. That's how you descend into stuff that's not good. Um, the pursuit of righteousness, though, instead of picking sides, is better. It's far better. Uh, righteousness shines like a light upon the world and exposes the work of darkness, and it also produces the light of hope. If you, I will say, when Jesus talks about righteousness, he says, you know, you're going to be persecuted if you pursue righteousness. Just ex- expect it. If you want to be good, moral, upright, virtuous, people are going to say that by the conduct of your life that you are um, you are being judgmental towards them. You know, Peter says that by your by your conduct they will malign you. Um, some people are going to see your way of life and they're going to be like, "Wow, that gives me hope. I want to. I want. I want what you have." And other people are going to be like, "No, get out of here. You're you are stopping me from doing whatever I want to do." Righteousness shines like a light. It exposes the works of darkness, but it also produces the light of hope. But it is the better calling. It's the way better calling. I just extended my introduction a little longer. Uh, excuse me for preaching. And first quote of the book. Okay. First quote of the book. I fear God in the true sense of the word, which means I love God, I respect God, I honor God. And all of this can only be done by loving our neighbor. That's the first quote of the book. All of this can only be done by loving our neighbor, by treating him justly and mercifully, and in always endeavoring to protect him from injustice and cruelty. Thus, obeying as far as our human frailty will permit the great and immutable law of righteousness. Righteousness is protecting your, loving your neighbor, protecting your neighbor, treating him justly and mercifully. Like, you have got to protect your neighbor, even if you don't like them or disagree with them. 
when we fear God, we do justice. Um, we do the justice that God requires. When we demand justice for men within our own borders, uh, <clears throat> I messed up that quote. Hold on. We fear God when we do justice. And when we demand justice for the men within our own borders, but we are false to the teaching of righteousness if we do not do such justice, and yet we demand justice. All right, so here's the thing. Right now, this has happened before in all of history, by the way. Right now, you have social justice warriors crying out for justice by burning down buildings, breaking glass, harming people, spraying them down, like causing riots, They're, and by canceling each other. And Theodore Roosevelt is saying, like, you cannot demand justice, but not also fulfill the law of justice. Like, you cannot demand justice by hating your neighbor. It's 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 a it's incoherent. It doesn't work. Um, he Theodore Roosevelt is just echoing echoing the cries of justice warriors through the rate the ages up till today. I want justice for me, but not for you. Justice for me, but not for thee. He's going to cite throughout this chapter, the story of the Good Samaritan. So the story of the Good Samaritan is found in the Gospel of Luke. Israel hates the people of Samaria, absolutely despises them. But Israel is under the, uh, under the occupation of Rome. They also don't like Rome because they feel like they are under the, because they're under the occupation, they're under a strong hand. They want to be free. They want their own nation back. They're praying that God delivers them from the hand of Rome, but they will not do the good to the Samaritan. They want Rome to do good to them, but they will not do good to the Samaritan. They're hypocrites. And Jesus tells the story about a man from Samaria who does good to his neighbor. And he asks the people who in this question, read this story. He says, um, because he's, Jesus is asked, who's my neighbor? Who should I be good to? And Jesus tells the story and he says, it's not a question of who is your neighbor. The question is, will you be a good neighbor? Will you seek the good of those who hate you? In the story, it's an Israelite who gets beaten on the side of the road and a Samaritan who saves him. And um, will you do good to those who hate you? That is the call. That is, that is the Christian call. Will you do good to those who hate you? Will you seek their good? Um, you can't demand justice and not also seek the good of your neighbor. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. Um, now, in our culture... Um, there's a thing in our culture right now, in our politics, and our, our culture and our politics have just become one and the same. <clears throat> there's this thing called repressive tolerance. Um, it is predominantly utilized by people on the left, but it has also been used by people on the right, uh, specifically the progressive left and the like far right. Um, repressive tolerance is I can speak, but you can't. Um, if you disagree with me, you cannot speak, but you have to tolerate what I have to say. That is repressive tolerance. Um, that's not righteousness. That is not justice. And it creates enemies among neighbors. If you are not willing to listen to your neighbor, then they should not, they don't have to be willing to listen to you. You've, and actually I want people, I want you to speak your crazy ideas. One, cause crazy ideas cannibalize themselves. Um, but they also expose what people are thinking and they can be combated. If you silence, silencing people is the greatest way to make sure, um, that, that, that whatever they have to say spreads like wildfire. It's it like, you've got to let people speak. Um, 
it's righteous, it's just, um, and it keeps us everybody from like anyway. Um <clears throat> Okay. You ever lose your train of thought when you're talking and then you get thirsty, you gotta drink water. Um all right, so you gotta fear God. You fear God, you love your neighbor, you take your own part. Theodore Roosevelt writes this in the book. In addition to fearing God, it is necessary that we should be able and ready to take our own part. The man who cannot take his own part is a nuisance in the community, a source of weakness, an encouragement to wrongdoers, and an added burden to the men who wish to do what is right. If he cannot take his own part, then somebody else has to do it for him. If he cannot take his own part, then somebody has to do it for him, and that means that his weakness and his cowardice and his inefficiency place an added burden on some other man and make that other man's strength by just so much avail as the to the community as a whole. Um, okay, so one, Theodore Roosevelt is not politically correct, and he is willing to say the things that we need to hear but don't want to hear. The man who cannot take his own part is a nuisance, a source of weakness, an encouragement to wrongdoers and an added burden to the man who wished to do what is right. Oh, I love it. That's another reason I love Theodore Roosevelt. He just says what you need, what we all need to hear, but don't want to hear. What does he mean? So if, if we as individual men, if we don't do our own part where we are, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our, our cities, our states, our communities, then someone else has to carry the burden and soon uh, the larger part of society is shirking their responsibility and living for themselves to the detriment of the entire society. I see this in church all the time. I also see it, like, think of an example. If one man um, shirks his duty to be a husband and a father, he's got, say he's got kids, he's been married, and he shirks his duty, um, and he just decides, you know what, I'm out, I'm leaving, which happens all the time. Men just leave. Well, now somebody needs to fill that role in his life. And for for his kids and for his family, someone needs to help take care of his wife, make sure and help take care of the kids, whether that be through the state, the church, someone else has to take on his responsibility. And it, it that's really, really, really difficult. In church, I see this all the time. I've, I see parents who don't want a parent and they think it's the youth pastor's job to raise their kids. And that is, that's wrong. It is not a youth pastor's job to raise their kids. There's too many of them for a youth pastor to raise all of them. That is a parent's job. It is the, it is the, is the command of God to parents to raise their own kids. A youth pastor is there to supplement the raising of children as that's what they are. They are there to help, uh, to be a supplement, to serve. They are not, they are not the primary driver in raising your kids, um, no, not at all. Um, we've got to be willing to take our own part. Like the and there's not really glory necessarily in taking your own part. Um, but we like we need men who take their own part. You and I need to um, do our responsibility. Um, for every man who abdicates his responsibility, who punts on his duty, it you, like it weakens the fabric of society until it starts to fall apart. Laziness is easy. Like, come on, laziness is easy, but it creates a vacuum that someone's going to fill with their crazy ideas, and it does not promote righteousness. It just doesn't. We've got to do our own part. And um, I think we are at a spot in our country. Excuse me, I need water. I think we're at a spot in our country where we need a reckoning. And I think it begins with men. 
Theodore Roosevelt, I just, I, this was in his autobiography. The prime work of this nation at the moment is to rebuild its own character. And I think that we are at a spot in our nation where we need to rebuild our character. Our character has fallen flat. For every person with crazy ideas, there is also another man, another woman, who has not done anything, who has just shirked their responsibility and, and tried to live their own life as they would without thinking about what's beyond them. And we need a reckoning. We have become lazy in our churches. We've turned them into systematic businesses with Yelp pages instead of houses of prayer, instead of houses of worship, where place people learn the ways of God. They learn about righteousness. They learn about how to raise their kids. It's just become, like, I had too many churches are these self-help, feel-good, nonsense, Jesus is all, wants everything that you ever want. Now, Jesus, Jesus wants the world to be righteous and made right. He wants it to be Eden. He wants it to be what he had originally intended. That's what he wants more than anything. We've become lazy in our societal participation. We've done, we've chose Sports Center and Netflix over, like, any other productive activity. We become self-seeking and self-indulgent instead of self-sacrificing. And I think it's time that we look in the mirror and we recognize the life that we're living and be honest. I think it's time that we repent, that we return to God, and we seek after his righteousness for the sake of our lives, for our families, for our communities, and for our nation. I think that I think that we need that. Um when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first thing he says is you need to seek God's righteousness. Not his love. Um, the love of God, has, which is unbelievable. It is broad and deep and wide, and it takes great strength to understand the love of God towards all humanity. But he doesn't say to seek the love of God, and somehow the love of God, which is so great, has been turned into a license to do whatever you want. But Jesus said to pursue righteousness, and he said, if you teach others to forego the pursuit of righteousness that he taught, you will be considered the least. And I think it's time that we take his teaching seriously again. And I think there's a couple things that we can do, a couple practical takeaways. Um, I'd like next steps, all right? First, when it comes to fearing God, um, there's this great parable Jesus tells in Luke 18. Uh, there's actually two great parables in Luke 18. One is on prayer that should be read along with it. It's the big, uh, the second one. It's a parable about a woman who just needs justice from her adversary, and so she begs God until she gives it. It's a great parable. Um, but the second one is about two men. They go down to pray. One man thinks he's righteous because of he thinks he's righteous in his own right. He's self-righteous. And he sa- he, he lifts up this prayer, and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I tithe, I do good, I pray, I do all the things you ask. I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. The dude is self-righteous. And then a tax collector is right next to him, and he won't even look up to heaven. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so Jesus tells this parable, and he says, I tell you the truth, that the man who, who knew he was a sinner went home justified before God. If you want to pursue righteousness, the first thing you need to understand is that you are not righteous in and of yourself. You're not. Um, your heart's bad. Uh, that's one of the primary primary teachings of Jesus. Like, your heart is bad. You need a new heart. 
and you don't get a new heart without God, without the mercy and the grace and the spirit of God. You, and if you think that you, if you have a heart posture of self-righteousness where you think I'm righteous because of all that I do, I'm better than other. I thank you, Lee. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those people. You need to repent. If you ever think or pray, I thank you that I'm not like those people. And we all have a category in our mind of, I thank you that I'm not like those people. You've missed one of the messages of Jesus, and you are incapable of pursuing true righteousness, which is humble in nature. Uh, go read that parable. It's in, uh, it's in Luke 18. If you want to pursue righteousness, you need God and you need his mercy, and you need to recognize that you are nothing without him. Uh, the next for taking your own part, I want I want men to start in church. I don't want you to start in your work. I want you to start in church. I want you to start, you know, get your family to church. If you don't go to church, go get your family there. Get your kids in kids ministry. If they're in youth, get them in youth ministry. Participate. Um, you as a man, volunteer in the kids ministry. Volunteer in the youth ministry. Start pouring into the next generation. Um, if you can volunteer anywhere, do that. Um, if you're, and if you can't volunteer in those areas, start a group, uh, for men, invest in men, get honest about your lives. Um, be honest about your desire to become better men. Starting in your church is going to be the easiest and the best place to start. And guess what? Starting in church has a proven track record. I don't know why I just whispered like that. That was weird. The church has a proven track record for over two millennium of being successful in training men for righteousness and creating righteous nations. 2,000 years, it's the one institution that has stood that long. The church of Jesus Christ. Every other nation has fallen, they've come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ has continued. And men, 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 I need you to hear, we need you in churches. Like, we want you in churches. We need you in our cities, we need you in our nation. We need you in our churches. Like desperately need. We need righteous men full of conviction about what is good and true, who are um, bold in every endeavor, who use their God-given energy, aggression, and um, everything else that God has given you. You're defending nature to build and protect our churches, to pour into the next generation, into our women, um, to build and to help turn people into all that God has destined them to be. Like we need men in our churches and I, man, I'll take every single man that wants to come and build and create something better, not participate. I want men who in our churches who will come and make it, make them better, who will build the next generation, who will build something that is everlasting, um, who use all that God has given them. And I think that we will see it uh, permeate throughout our nation if we get men back in churches. I, I just, I really believe that. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast. That's all I have for you today. Um, if you like this podcast, please like it, please subscribe it, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, share it with 10 friends. That really helps us get the word out. If you didn't like this podcast, just pretend you didn't listen to it because that helps us also. Until next time, I hope you are blessed by God. I hope your life is filled with joy and power and everything else you desire. Uh, may God bless you. And this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.